listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. And we're talking about hymns today, and I'm super excited. Yes! Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> it is. Amen. <laughs> the funny thing is that we're all jazzed about it, and we're talking about nighttime hymns. So this is going to be a calming episode of hymns. It's probably not going to be calming at all, because I'm always excited about this so never mind anyway (laughs) we're in the green season of the church year uh, and it's a weird green season this year because it's also coronavirus season which just makes everything weird and we get to hear about uh, the lives of the saints during this season we hear a lot of parables we don't have a lot of or any high feast days I mean it's not Christmas it's not Easter a lot of a lot of like life of the church kind of stuff during during this time of the church year which is awesome and that also means that on this hymn sing episode we get to talk about hymns that we have in our daily life ones that we sing with our families or in our own quiet time these aren't like the super loud with bells eastern christmas hymns these are like the nice everyday kind of hymns that stick with us all the time and i also love those hymns so In our Catherine Winkworth episode, we brought up the subject of favorite nighttime hymns, which created this idea to actually do an entire episode on nighttime hymns because there's a bunch of them and we all have lots of memories associated with uh, lullabies or hymns used as lullabies or hymns in evening services. There's a whole bunch of different uses for them. And so we already started down that path. And so today we're going to dig in and I'm really jazzed about it. So grab your pillows ladies and your comfy jammies and your uh, nighttime tea and maybe your your uh, snuggly bear or CPAP uh, machine <laughs> or that my uh, cell phone or your cell <laughs> well, you probably already have your cell phone if you're listening to this uh if anyone has a stuffed narwhal by the way I would love to see a picture of it narwhals are my favorite Anyway, so as usual, I put a poll on Facebook and I got yelled at for making people pick hymns like usual. Uh, it's okay to pick several hymns, people. <laughs> you can click all the boxes. No rule against it. Just click, 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 click. There are no rules with this. Really. <laughs> it's not like Highlander, though, guys. Come on. The top hymn by far, like by double the next one, was Abide With Me. Uh, Lutheran Service Book 878. Not really surprising. That is a longtime favorite of solid like, choice right mm-hmm. there. Love yes. that. I'm, I'm <laughs> with a big thumbs down from Aaron, which is hilarious. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> I'm sorry. We've all got our things. And for whatever reason, I just find that's that one is just so I just find it so depressing. And you're allowed to have that opinion. Yeah, and so I know, and I, I, I feel. Oh, actually, I don't even feel nervous at all because I'm going to be honest. I don't feel nervous at all claiming that I'm just. I don't care for abide with me, and I realize that that's going to lose me a lot of respect in our Facebook group, and I feel okay about that because I'm join being the club. Honest. I mean, I have put out there several times that I'm not a big fan of any English hymns, and I've gotten flack for that. So 
from me. You can exactly. You can join me in, in my in my little corner of people that give me yeah. flack for hymns. Okay, and so I'm Aaron, also sorry. You're gonna have to sit through like ten minutes of learning more yeah, about that okay. hymn later. Maybe so it'll, maybe it'll give me a new a new appreciation for it. So change my mind. Challenge accepted. <laughs> I may give you some flack about it, Aaron, but nothing could make me love you less. Even this bombshell of information. <laughs> I'm just really amused. I mean, everyone has their favorites, and everyone has ones they don't like, and that's. That is fine. We all have our taste. Anyway, that was number one in the poll. I've got nine more of these to tell you. <laughs> the second, which was a little surprising, but not totally, was uh, Go My Children With My Blessing, Ooh. which is Lutheran Service Book 922. And I actually don't love that one. So. I do not love that one. <laughs> I think that one's a bit more of a love-hate one. No, I just savage. sang it. I just sang it a lot in grade school. I think it was our school hymn one year. And I just, uh-huh. uh, just not a fan. I have a sort of just general dislike of hymns that put the words of God in first person and those words aren't like pretty closely tied to a direct scriptural uh, reference. It's just a point. pet peeve. That's um, fair. So that's it's, fair. but the, I mean, can't go wrong having all through the night as your, as your tune there. So yeah. Yeah. Always fun to sing. Uh, number three, a very obvious lullaby one. Now the light has gone away. I think, I mean... Or as some of the older older ladies in our fellowship might remember it, Mudabinik Gatesuru, which was exactly. sort of the now I lay me prayer that oh. um, my grandmother was raised with. And she yes. was still praying Mudabinik when she was, you know, in her 80s. Um, yep. So and yeah, I learned it. Even though it's, I'm not a huge fan of the hymn setting of that, I love the, you know, sort of emotional familiarity of the text. Yeah, a lot of people have stories with that one. Number four, I Am Jesus' Little Lamb, another. If I were going to vote for a second hymn and I didn't want to dilute my vote by voting for <laughs> any other hymn, so I only voted for one with the hopes that it would help my one, it didn't. Anyway, that would be my number two. That one right um, there. I love it. Yep. I have definitely used that one as a lullaby with yeah. small children. It's about it's, the only I'm that as a lullaby the, to myself the... now. If I wake up in the middle of the night with a bad dream, oh my gosh, I you're the cutest song as a lullaby, and it sends me back to sleep with sweet dreams. I mean, it's Aww. a pretty standard one. It's mm-hmm. a good, it is a good one. one. Yeah. Uh, number five is where my favorite uh, shows up. Now rest beneath night shadow. Love, love. Love. It's a Gerhardt. I mean, I was going to ask, is it a Gerhardt? <laughs> it's a Gerhardt. I have zero sentimental stories attached to it, too, which is kind of weird. I just, it's just great. Number six, All Praise to Thee, My God, This Night, which is a really good one. I don't, I didn't look up who wrote that one. Um, I, I don't think I've ever sung solid. that one. I love, oh, it's so good. You should sing it. Um, okay. Number seven is the doxology. Another good standard. That's a good one. Number eight, Jesus Loves Me. Another very oh, standard. Yeah. Mm. Of course. Number nine is Christ Be My Leader. Yeah. Which is our wedding hymn. So oh my I love gosh. I processed down the aisle to that one. Oh my uh, gosh. And awesome. number 10, rounding out the top 10, is Children of the Heavenly Father, which is another one. Oh, I'm not sure. yeah. Not, see, I'm not a fan of that one. <laughs> I like that one. It's a good one. Uh, also, saying that one a bunch in grade school, not really a fan of it. But it's okay. That's okay. And I had to, to give an honorable mention to the 11th place uh, because it's God's own child. I gladly say it, which is a like your growing, 
growing favorite among a lot of people because mm-hmm. it's a great baptismal hymn and there's so many like kids that have memorized this hymn mm-hmm. because it's such a good baptismal hymn that people mm-hmm. just sing it all the time my my bestie from college uh her son who's like what two has this completely memorized which is wow. it's so cute i love her to be fair, though, several of these hymns don't actually mention anything about nighttime or sleep yeah, or whatever. True. So, right. which is true. curious that nighttime quote unquote hymns aren't necessarily hymns that talk about sleep or nighttime. It mm-hmm. can either be that, and I left this open in the discussion. I didn't want to to put too much of this into a box, but it's either mm-hmm. stuff that talks about sleep and nighttime, which a lot of these do, or hymns that we sing at nighttime which right. are definitely more there's still more of the comforting yep. uh mm-hmm. type of hymns a lot of talk about uh jesus's love not really like super hard-hitting kind of stuff that we talk about in other hymns or seasons of the church here but they're they're nice lullabies or things to fall asleep to because they're comforting like that so there's they're kind of two different camps in this which was kind of on purpose i wanted i kind of wanted it to come out that way because yeah, and I like I like that people are sort of uh, making making hymns from anywhere in the hymnal into lullabies yep. into nighttime. Mm-hmm. This is this is how I want to end my day hymns. Exactly. And there were several people who commented on the poll that they don't actually use any of these. They choose their lullaby or nighttime evening hymn depending on the church year, which I think is an awesome idea. So if yeah. you're one of those families that likes to do your family devotions that follow the church year. That's a really great idea to pick a hymn maybe that your kid loves and learn that one as a family during that season of the church year and use it as your nighttime hymn and choose a different one every year. So like you yeah. get to learn a whole bunch of hymns. I think it's a great idea. You don't have to do it, but it's kind of cool, especially if you're a, a, a hymn loving family. There were lots of stories associated with these hymns. Obviously, uh, these kind of lullabies or nighttime hymns are going to bring up a lot of memories, a lot of stories about grandmas and mamas singing to their kiddos or their kiddos singing to their siblings, which I love that kids sing to their siblings. That is, that just warms my heart. We love these hymns for their comfort. We mentioned them that a lot of them talk about the constant love and forgiveness of Jesus and in several of them are assurance of eternal life in heaven, which I don't know about you, but I like thinking about that before I go to sleep at night, especially if you've had a really bad day or you're having trouble sleeping or you're like super anxious. Thinking about Jesus in heaven is generally a really good thing for your mental health. I also think it's kind of cool that it's not weird for us to sing about death right before we go to sleep, um, because if you think about it from that angle, it could be super morbid that we're like talking about dying right before we go to sleep for the night but it's not for us because we have comfort in knowing that even if that would happen we know where we're going to end up which Mm -hmm. is like the most comforting thing you could think about before you go to sleep especially if you're a kid and you get nightmares you're like scared of the monster in the closet if you know that jesus is always on your side and he always loves you that's a huge comfort and I remember that a bunch when I was a kid because I always thought there was a monster under my bed and I like refused to, I like ran off of my bed in the middle of the oh night. Gosh. Like I thought something was going to grab my legs. Baby no Not even kidding. Ugh. So these lullabies, super good for me. Anyway, before we dig into the few that uh, I want to talk about, I want to know your favorites. So Rachel, 
what is your favorite or at least the hymn that you want to uh, share your memories about? Okay, so I was originally going to pick Abide With Me because that <laughs> one is goes back super, super far in my family and, you know, four-part harmony and crying on the fourth verse and, you know, all of that. <laughs> but I then changed my mind because I thought of another hymn that is even probably more dear to me than that one. And that is the entire setting of evening prayer. <laughs> wow. So that's, that's a legit. It wasn't on the poll. Yeah. Oversight. Um, I, no, it I, was. I think someone added it to the poll. Oh, someone added it. Good. I think so, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't realize it was an option when I clicked my boxes. It but, may not have uh, been there yet. <laughs> yeah. No, I love the service of evening prayer that begins with the service of light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The light no darkness can overcome. Stay with us, Lord, for it is evening and the day is almost over. Let your light scatter the darkness and illumine your church. And it goes on from there. And you know a bunch of the canticles in this are super old you know the still have their latin names attached particular uh moment for me because i have a little problem with putting my foot in my mouth Mm. (laughs) set a watch before my mouth oh lord and guard the door of my lips i need to be praying that like at least every day and it also it it brings back wonderful memories with my family especially and i know you said that this was for uh, Trinity slash Pentecost slash the green season, but Advent, because <laughs> yes. when we do Advent devotions as a family, this is our liturgy. Uh-huh. We light the candles, we sing, you know, the, the opening canticles, and it just becomes a beautiful moment of light at a very dark time. I, I don't like darkness. Um, I don't either. I, the, the cold, gray, dark months in the middle of the year are or at the end of the year and the beginning of the year are really unpleasant for me on an emotional and spiritual level but this beautiful liturgy helps me frame that in a way that even in the darkness we have hope and it's a great way to call children to devotions where they're just like blah 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 and uh <laughs> Ken if he's home or me if he's not home will just start Jesus Christ is the light of the world and it's like when you clap your hands they all have to clap their hands it, it just brings and focuses the mind in a, in a beautiful way and just sends you off uh into the night knowing that Jesus is your savior your light and you're good Yes, so that's mine. I love evening prayer. And you bring up lots of good points. Compline didn't make it on the list. I neglected to put it on there. I didn't even think about it. I but com- love we should- Compline too. Yes, yeah. uh, definitely need to, to give an honorable mention to Compline too, because it's in that same boat. And that one is actually meant to be the one that you sing right before you go to bed. I know. Um, I evening know. prayer and is I like the, the, the 7 p.m.-ish. I know, um, I know. The last, the last uh, canticle in Compline... Um, Guide us waking, O Lord, yes. and guard us sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. I, I, I want that in my funeral. <laughs> so. It's just so good. And it's, it, it's it, perfect for, like, you can sing it a cappella. It doesn't have to be beautiful. Um, but Compline's definitely, like, definitely a, a good one. That might be a future hymn sing episode, would be to <gasps> dig into some of these, because they are things that 
I mean, I did not grow up with all of those liturgies. I grew up, yep. I know the, I know some of the main ones for Sunday mornings, but I wasn't familiar with any of the evening liturgies. It's only later that I've become familiar with some of the morning liturgies. So that could be something that could be really interesting for a future episode, Sarah, because I bet there's more people like me who love singing, but don't know all of these. Indeed. Options. And they don't get used as much as they should, in my opinion, partly because yeah. evening services are less common, but partly mm-hmm. because the melodies are a little more complicated. Mm-hmm. And so it's harder to jump in if you don't already know it. Mm-hmm. Now, you could say the melodies are hard or you, you could say the melodies are fancy and intricate and <laughs> worth learning because they will stick in your brain. Yes. Um, so, it, yeah, it's strange and awkward at first when you're trying a new liturgy together. But so much goodness is tucked away in them. And I I didn't know Compline until I was in high school and college at Higher Mm -hmm. Things. So it's still a relatively recent one for me as well. Okay, we could talk about this forever. Erin, what is your your one you want to talk about? So I picked Christ's Mighty Savior. And this is one that churches that I've gone to my whole life have not really done evening hymns with any regularity. So this one I learned from my time um, at work, actually. We have a few, usually a couple times a year, we do a missionary orientation for new missionaries. And they have the practice of ending each day doing some sort of small, small evening devotion service. And so that's also where I learned, became familiar with evening prayer setting. On uh, love that. And then this song, Christ's Mighty Savior. Uh, and so I would actually stay late at the end of the day so that I could go to the to the closing evening devotion service uh, when whenever we have missionary orientation. Christ's Mighty Savior takes my breath away every time, although not I guess that's figuratively because I sing it. It does. I don't have a problem singing it at all. <laughs> it literally, take my breath away. But figuratively, it takes my breath away with both the lyrics and the tune. It's one of those that manages to be like amazing for both the the melody and the lyrics. The lyrics, in particular, are poetry, and this is unusual. They don't rhyme, and so it's one of the rare hymns in our hymnal, to my knowledge, that doesn't bother rhyming. It does have a it does have a meter, but it's unusual and so that makes it a little tricky when you're singing if the organist doesn't decide to just throw in an extra beat. Yeah, it's got 7 7 beats per measure, which is just that's sort of weird. But anyway, if you have a good if you have a good musician, they just guide you along anyways, so you don't you don't have a problem there. But for example, here is verse 2. It is just beautiful. Now comes the day's end as the sun is setting, mirror of daybreak, pledge of resurrection, while in the heavens, choirs of stars appearing, hallow the nightfall. And so it's just got all of this beautiful imagery of the day ending and preparing yourself for going to sleep. It actually seems to be referencing, like basically preparing to go to evening prayer, because later they talk about joyfully chanting holy hymns to praise you. So, you know, anticipating that there's going to be more of this singing as as you progress through the service. 
Anyway, I love it. It has become my all-time favorite evening hymn, and that's why I I tried to I only voted for this one because I, I wanted to give it the most oomph that it could have in the standings, but it's just not well known. Yeah. So go listen yeah. to it, people. You'll love it. It is beautiful. Uh, that is that is probably on my list of favorites as well. And I do have a fun little tidbit of background information from the hymnal companion on this one. So this one is actually from an ancient from ancient Latin hymnody, originally from the Mozarabic liturgy for vespers. Sometimes for the second Sunday after Epiphany, liturgy in general is often affected by culture. And this liturgy is of Spanish origin and shows influences of Eastern practices from Syria and Byzantine culture that happened when the Visigoths, this is history, Visigoths invaded Spain in the 5th century. And then 300 years later, Arabs conquered Toledo and the Christians that avoided Muslim influence in their liturgy, the name Mozarab stuck. So this is this from this Spanish liturgy from a very, very long time ago, but influenced by all of these uh, cultures. They probably adopted Arabic language and culture, but they kept their religious practices from the 8th through the 11th centuries, which is fascinating. You can actually go on YouTube and listen to some of the this liturgy. So that's my little tidbit. It's got this really interesting cultural historical background to it. So there's Indeed. that. All right, Bree, you're up. Yo, Which I'm calling it. I'm calling an audible. Do it. I was I was gonna I was gonna talk about Christ Be My Leader, which is a good one. Children of the Heavenly Father, I also really love. Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna go with actually probably my favorite hymn of all time. Oh. That is The King of Love My Shepherd is. Oh very I don't, I don't know if anyone put it on the list or anything, but I, I feel so. like that also, that was our wedding song. I, it sounds very lullaby-ish. It is very, it, the, the first verse, which I know off the top of my head, it's very comforting. It's the king of love my shepherd is whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his and he is mine forever. Just very, very full of love and emotion and comfort. And it's just nice little, nice little ditty to sing before you go to bed. Sure is. It is. I, that one, I don't know if it's that one or a similar, there's a, there's a couple similar uh, ones about Jesus as the shepherd that are in my first hymnal. And I don't remember if it's that one or another one, uh, but a lot of kids call that one like the sheep hymn and mm. sing it before bedtime. So you're not totally off track Voice. there with, with a, a hymn about Jesus as shepherd before bedtime. Mm-hmm. So. You're allowed to have that one. Thank you. Holy really fine. Awesome. All right. So I have several, of course. <laughs> Not surprising to anyone, I know. And I don't know if I actually I do have a most favorite. Now rest beneath night shadow. I it's a Gearheart. It's you know. Anyway. You um Abide with Me is definitely on my list. Now the light has gone away is up there. Christ be my leader, definitely, because it's our wedding hymn. And Christ Mighty Savior also on my list. I could probably put more on there. I think Compline is probably, now that we brought Compline up, that one's on there too. <laughs> and I don't have a, a story to go with Now Rest Beneath, Beneath Night Shadow. I don't even remember if we sang it when I was growing up. We must have, but I I don't really remember. It wasn't really a, a thing yet. Abide With Me has a lot of like real emotional connection for me because I sang it at both of my grandparents' funerals. 
I definitely cannot get through that one without bawling my eyes out ever, uh, especially the last stanza. It it gets me every time, even if I'm like, I am not going to cry. It gets me. Don't do it, girl. Time. Every you time. All of my grandparents' funeral hymns can't get through them without crying. Yeah. But that's a, um, that is a popular funeral hymn. It is. As far as yeah, I know. it is. Now the Light Has Gone Away was my childhood lullaby. So that one's been with me for a really super duper long time. And then uh, when I was at Concordia Chicago in Capella, uh, that always ended all of our concerts and we sang it in German and in English. So that one, I love that one. I love singing it in German too. It gives me chills all the time. We would hold hands and sing it and it's so great. It's fantastic. And also when we visit my nieces and nephews now, we sing that one because that's their bedtime lullaby now too. So I get to hold the kiddo and sing to them and they sing to each other and it's it's wonderful and fantastic and it feels like this like long tradition of of lullabies in my family. Of course, we could we could talk more about literally any of these for the next 3 hours, but I had to pick a couple. So first, since it was the top spot, we will talk about Abide with Me. I'm sorry, Erin, yes. you have to put it up with me, but I did accept your challenge to change your mind. So <laughs> Here maybe we go. I can maybe I can change your mind. I don't know. This was written by Henry Francis Light, who was born on June 1st. 1793 at Ednam near Kelso in Roxburgh, Roxburghshire, England. These English names, I can say German names all day long. These English ones really get me tripped up. Roxburghshire is actually in Scotland, right on the border with England. And if you think about this time in history, Britain was newly involved with a major war with France and just coming off losing the War of Independence to America. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, so pretty turbulent times for British people at this time. He was educated at the Royal School of Enniskillen and Trinity College Dublin, pretty familiar place, where he received his BA in 1814. He was a fantastic poet. He won the Chancellor's Prize for English verse three years in a row. So he was super good at what he does. And he was ordained as a deacon on December 18th, 1814 and a priest in 1815 he married Anne on January 21st 1818 and they had three sons and a daughter so his ministry as a priest was mostly in Brixham but he also served in Tagman County Wexford and he traveled around a lot uh, while in Brixham where that's where he served until he died uh, he gathered a huge and well-respected library, mostly of theological books and old English poetry, which would be really cool. Old English is fascinating stuff. So he also had great devotion to sailors and fishermen, establishing a sailor Sunday school. And this makes a whole lot of sense because Brixham is on the coast of the English Channel. So he was around fishermen and sailors and that lifestyle for most of his time as a priest. So hmm. makes a lot of sense. He also cared a whole lot about education and he took a lot of students into his home and taught them. So he really cared for all of these things and, and knowledge was a, a big thing for him. He served a neighboring clergyman, Abraham Swan, at his deathbed during his time in Cornwall, uh, which is also coastal. In 1816 to 1820, and Swan's deep faith in the work of Christ for forgiveness of sins was a crucial turning point for Light, and he dug deeper into scripture after that point. So 
like I said, he traveled around a lot and especially later in life, uh, he traveled even more and he suffered from asthma and bronchitis. So he was going for more uh, warmer climates like Rome and France and south of France and stuff. And he died on November 20th, 1847 in Nice, France, which is a beautiful place, by the way. Also on the water. He liked water. The dates and stories of when Abide With Me was originally composed uh, are varied a bit. There's, there's a couple different theories on when it was actually written. Uh, some say it was 1820 when he was at the deathbed of his friend Swan. Uh, others say it was as late as 1847 uh, as he had his own serious illnesses he was dealing with and the final sermon at his church before he left. Manuscripts suggest that it was mid-1847 and that the children of his parish sang it after his departure. The hymn has eight stanzas in its original form, and it was in print in several newspapers in early 1848. And then it was published in Light's Remains book in 1850 and then accepted for publication in the Hymns Ancient and Modern, published in 1861. And that book has come up before on these podcasts. They're all connected. I thought it sounded familiar. Yes. And I don't remember which hymn it was that we talked about that's also in there. Uh, Can't remember. But that has come up before. It came up when we talked about Catherine Winkworth, definitely. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. she's she's the same time period. So that would would make sense. Yeah. Kind of sounds like, you know how some people uh, write their own obituaries before they die? Done it. Maybe uh, Reverend Light wrote his own funeral (laughs) hymn. (laughs) Which is actually kind of right. Taking it to a whole nother level of Uh awesomeness. Yeah, you're you're on the right track. Uh, The two stanzas that are left out of Lutheran Service Book are more autobiographical. And so we don't sing them Uh, so you're kind of you're kind of right there yeah so ours has six stanzas the original had eight and they were reordered so they begin and end the same way we just kind of mix them up in the middle and leave two of them out which as it goes my stanza is the last one that's i'm guessing the favorite of a lot of people it's the one that talks about oh well this is how it goes hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes shine through the gloom and point me to the skies Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O oh Lord, abide with me. Mm. That's the one I can never get through without tearing up. Oh, and see, for I me, almost it's, doing it right now. <laughs> for me, it's stanza five. You know that where you just slap death in the face. Oh yeah. Um, I fear no foe with thee at hand. To bless ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. And then it gets really good. Where is death sting? Where grave thy victory? <laughs> I triumph still if thou abide with me. Anyway, I love that. Yes. Can't sing it without choking up. It's good. And apparently I wrote in my notes that I couldn't even write it in my notes without tearing up. So there's, there you go. I actually wrote that down. (laughs) Um, Like I said, the LSB doesn't have the autobiographical stanzas that he originally wrote. And there's a theme that comes through very strongly of a strong faith in God's comfort and promises in the midst of suffering and death. So there you go. Have I changed your mind, Erin? I mean, <laughs> it's okay to say no. <laughs> it's, it's still not my, it's, it's still not going to be my favorite, but that's fine. I do appreciate knowing 
more of the background. That always makes gives me a greater appreciation. Is it, is it a sideways thumb now? Is it sideways thumb? Be, I mean, it's maybe like at five o'clock instead of at six. Progress! <laughs> yeah. I'll take it. I will take it. Take it. All right. Moving on, because this will take a long time if I don't. Uh, my favorite childhood lullaby is now the light has gone away and there were a lot of notes on this one and it's a little it's way more complicated than i thought it was so that's always a fun thing to run across so the languages on this one uh rachel you mentioned the german being a really strong family connection and a lot of people know the german it's a very popular german lullaby and they actually the english and german have a very interesting relationship um and so there's a lot of stories in the poll also about uh, a lot of people knowing this in German. The German hymn was written in 1816 by Louise Hensel, who lived 1798 to 1876. So the English hymn is by Francis Ridley Havergal, who lived 1836 to 1897. So they kind of overlapped a little bit uh, when they lived. So first is uh, Francis Ridley Havergal, who was born December 14th, 1836 in Astley, Worcestershire. Oh, it got me. Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Yes. <laughs> it's like that gif on Facebook. What's the hardest thing to say? It's always worse. Worst- <laughs> I love you. I'm sorry. Worcestershire. Just say Worcestershire. Worcestershire sauce. Um, she was born there in, uh, to, uh, <laughs> to uh, her dad was a pastor. Wait, so Francis is a woman? Yes. Francis is a woman. Oh, yeah, I asked. There are several Francises in our hymnal who are women, not men, and I didn't always realize that. Like the one yeah. who wrote Once in Royal David City. Oh, oh also cool. Okay. So her dad was a pastor and composer, William Henry Havergal, who is also in our hymnal, and his first wife, Jane Head. She was the youngest of six and was formally educated until she had a severe skin infection, which sounds horrible. There wasn't a lot more detail about that, but... Good. If it made you stop your formal education, not great. She did continue her education informally and proved herself to be a very bright student. She was writing poetry as early as age seven and was published in several places throughout her life. She went to Germany with her parents in 1852 and mastered her German. She also composed hymns in English, German, and French. She knew Latin and Italian, and she could read scripture in Hebrew and Greek. So she was super sharp on languages, which is really impressive. Way more of a thing maybe back then, too, that people just kind of learned a bunch of languages because it was the thing to do. Age of Enlightenment, reason, all that stuff. Anyway, she was quite devoted to her devotional life and turned down uh, marriage proposals and broke a lot of friendships because she was only devoted to God and knew her salvation was in Christ. So she died in Wales on June 3rd, 1879. So that's a little snippet about Francis. Louise Hensel was born on March 30th, 1798 in Linum, Brandenburg, the fifth child of Johann Jakob Ludwig Hensel. Good German name. And he was a Lutheran pastor. And his wife, Louise. They were not rich at all. And after her father died in 1809, she was pretty young, the family moved to Berlin, where she was educated and bloomed artistically. Her social circle, I want to 
be her back then. Her social circle was full of nobles and artists, which sounds awesome (laughs) to be around those people all the time. And she wrote lots of poetry for these people. These artists and nobles really formed her poetic talents, and many of the men proposed marriage to her, all of whom she declined. Weird connection between the two of them that neither one of them wanted to marry anyone. She don't need I, no man. I, it's just I mean, coincidental, probably, but mm-hmm. I found that really interesting that they were more devoted to their craft and their devotion to God than they were interested in men. Really interesting. I'm actually really curious how parallel their lives were in other ways now, but that's a totally different research project. Anyway, she converted to Roman Catholicism on December 18th, 1818, after needing some spiritual authority after her father's death. Remember, her father was a pastor and he died and she was a little lost in her spiritual journey. She devoted her life to those in need and wanted to become a nun But she had to care for her nephew after her sister died in 1816. She was a teacher for a while after this time, eventually moving to Berlin in 1833 to live with her brother and his wife, who was composer Fanny, who was the sister of Felix Mendelssohn. So there's also a connection to the Mendelssohn composing family here. Which is pretty incredible. It's kind of cool to think about, though. Back at the time, like, these were just normal people who were just really good at stuff. And now we're like, these people are awesome. I don't know. I love, like, learning They're about They're going to say that about us 500 <laughs> years from now. You know that, the, right? The real lives of these people that, you know, yeah, that's, hundreds that's of gonna years be later. Us. It's just so cool. Anyway, that's going to be us. This is don't why worry I love about, it. about people. So she wrote... About 220 poems, but she didn't pursue publication of them because she didn't think her work was that important. One of her old beaux, Clemens Brentano, put her works in Melchior von Diepenbrock's Geistlicher Blumenstrauss, which means spiritual bouquet of flowers. That's kind of a fun name. In- <laughs> Beautiful. In, Let's make uh, an animal name to that. <laughs> in 1829. After he made changes to her work, this is where the original Mudebinich was published. So that publication is a starting point for the popularity of the text. The melody was published with the text in Theodor Fliedner, who has also come up in this podcast before. His Liederbuch für Kleinkinderschulen in 1842. And because copyright and intellectual property weren't really things back in the day, they were both published without her name. So she didn't actually Rude. get credit for this. And I see your Rude. face, Rachel. <laughs> We've talked about this before, too. It was the same thing with Catherine Winkworth. That a lot of times back in the day, stuff just got published. People picked up your work and threw it in a book, maybe made their own changes to it. And that's just kind of how it happened. When Geideche von Louise und Wilhelm Hensel was published in 1857, the editor, again made his own alterations to her work without her consent. So she, like, really kept getting the short end of the stick on this whole, like, people publishing her stuff and not giving her credit or changing it without her consent or, This you is, know. like, right up there with photoshopping your picture, the portrait of Emily Dickinson <laughs> to give her, like, a softer hairdo and a frilly collar. Right. I mean, <laughs> and, My and it, Don't do it! <laughs> and I don't know how much she cared because she didn't think her work was good enough to publish or important Mm. enough to publish so i don't i maybe she didn't care as an as an editor myself i can say 
that, you know, any publication project is a partnership of the writer and the editor. Usually the editor's work isn't noticed, but that doesn't mean it isn't there. Um, And and everyone needs an editor. (laughs) In a a publication situation, it's pretty standard in your contract to say, we'll let you review the edits, but really we're the ones taking the risk on this financially. So we get the final say in what words actually show up on the page. So, I mean, that's, it's, it's painful, but it's the way the world works when it comes to publication. And it sounds like uh, Louisa just sort of took it as it came. And so she would have probably been a delightful person to work with as an <laughs> editor if she just sort of went with the flow. Obviously, it worked because her, you know, her published works are very highly valued. Yeah. That's yeah. True. That's so, true. so finally, Christoph Bernhard Schluter compiled her work in the Liter von Louise M. Hensel, published in 1869, because he wanted her to have some credit and to have all of her works published. So there was someone that finally was like, dudes, we got to publish this stuff properly and, uh, <laughs> and, and put it all out there in 1869. So Louise died on December 18th, 1876, in the Sisters of Christian Charity Convent in Paderborn. So she did eventually end up in a convent. So the interesting thing is that Frances Havergal never actually said that her hymn, Now the Light Has Gone Away, was a translation of Louise Hensel's text. There's no but written evidence that it was. It's gotta be. It's gotta be, right? It's gotta be. It's a, not a very good translation. I love the German way better. No offense, Frances. It's a loose paraphrase. It is definitely more of a paraphrase than an actual, like, direct translation. I mean, there's a ton of evidence that it probably was. Uh, She obviously knew languages well enough to do it. She was also in Germany in uh, 1861 to 1869, and her translation date in 1869 was right after returning from Germany, and that was only nine months after Louise Hensel's text was published. So highly likely that it was a translation yeah. or loose paraphrase translation. And again, with all of the copyright intellectual property stuff, you know, people just did stuff. Yep. So pretty yeah. likely. I mean, they're obviously related. So yeah. Can we talk about the original German text? Because oh. I really love it. Um, Go for it. I mean, okay. So here's just doing a little, little quick comparison. So the first two stanzas, Francis, Francis's version goes, Now the light has gone away, Father, listen while I pray, asking thee to watch and keep and to send me quiet sleep. Very sweet. The original, I'm tired. I'm going to rest. You, Lord, close my eyes. And Father, let your eyes be over my bed. Okay, little different sense yeah. there. Stanza two, Jesus, Savior, wash away all that has been wrong today. Help me every day to be good and gentle, more like thee. Also, very sweet. Here's my very rough translation of the original. If I've done anything unrighteous today, don't look at that, dear God. Your (laughs) mercy and Christ's blood make everything that is bad and shameful good. So much better. I know. Which is why we're like kind of sort of translation, but not totally. It's obviously there's there's echoes, there's parallels. Right. But if I were going to translate it, I'd do it very differently. <laughs> right. Well, and, and that, that stanza in particular 
the the English one takes a lot from the Enlightenment um, mm-hmm. and and that time period of Victorian poetry. That theme of being more like Jesus shows up in a whole bunch of other right. stuff from that so same there's, time period. There's much more of a dear Lord, help me to be a better person. Mm-hmm, exactly. And much less of a dear Lord, I know I've been a bad person. Let your grace cover me. Yes. And Louise was a Lutheran pastor's daughter. Uh-huh. So her theology is going to be a way different slant than Francis's, who I'm assuming was Anglican mm-hmm. of that nature. So that that particular point of our theology is going to be different. So has anybody done a more recent translation uh, that like sticks more to the original text. I tried about 10 years ago. I couldn't come Uh up with anything perfect. I may come back to Uh it at some point. Projects. I'm sure someone has done something somewhere on the internet, but I I mean, I haven't seen it. It's obviously not in our hymnal, but we need to open a thread on the Facebook page and have a little friendly competition of people offering their own uh, translations, but just verse one and two is fine. I can think of a couple ladies in oh, our yes. fellowship who would probably knock this out of the park. Let's um, do it. Yeah. I love it. Yes. Can you do better than Francis R. Havergal? <laughs> probably. <laughs> no offense, Francis. Yep. Alberto Randegger, who was an Italian composer and professor at the Royal College of Music, worked with Francis and published Sacred Songs for Little Singers in 1870. And the tune is the same one used by Louise in Fliedner's Liederbuch in 1842. So this is another thing that points to the two hymns being very closely related all the way back then. And the, the original text, German text, Echoes Gerhardt's Now Rest Beneath Night's Shadow. <laughs> Funny enough. <laughs> if you go through all of the German text, it references those same kind of ideas, but also a Lutheran. So a lot of, you know, Lutheran theology just kind of tends to show up in this kind of stuff. The German and English texts are essentially roughly the same ideas for the first three stanzas. Stanzas four and five of our English hymn are original to Francis. They are not from the German. So super popular for us singing to our kiddos, German and the English. And it was also really popular among the Enlightenment crowd when it was first put out. So that's all I have on that one. Of course, I'm pretty sure this is my favorite hymn, Now Rest Beneath Night's Shadow. It's a Paul Gerhardt. We've already covered his life in a previous episode, so I'm not going to tell you much more about him here. He got his own little section earlier. However, this hymn is interesting. The text is interesting because it was also written during the Enlightenment, which is a theme today in all of these. And this is when reason was king. And so people gave him flack for his text because they thought it just didn't make sense. Like he says the whole world is sleeping and people are like, well, that's impossible. You can't have the whole world sleeping. There's all these people awake. Oh, so, I mean, but the, I mean, that was, that was what it was in the Enlightenment. It was, if it doesn't make sense, it isn't true, right? Oh, um, a hymn about darkness in the middle of the Enlightenment. How Gerhardt can you get it? Right? I know. I love it. Uh, so people gave him flack for that. There's other people that were sticking up for him and like, this is a theological thing. It makes sense if you, you know, think about it, but you know, anyway, he was probably influenced by many different things going on around him. Of course, he had a very 
traumatic life. He had a lot of stuff to write about when it comes to the assurance we have in Christ and Christ's forgiveness. There is also an obvious reference to Luther's evening prayer, into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me that the evil foe may have no power over me. It uh, relates pretty heavily to that. So there's a lot of good, good Lutheran theology in this hymn. And I have no sentimental stories about this one. I don't remember when I first sang it. I don't think it was a big thing for me growing up. But of course, the Gerhardt's text which actually is the text of the translators. Edward Dore Humans did, I think, the first three, two or three stanzas, an unidentified translator. And of course, Catherine Winkworth. It's fantastic. Hands down, favorite lullaby. Before I close this, I did just briefly look through a few other hymns on the favorites list just to see if there was any cool little snippets of of detail to give you guys and there was one that uh caught my eye which is jesus loves me this i know i like everybody knows this one right i was like what what interesting things could be about this one so this text actually comes from a novel which i did not know and i was like my mind was blown it is from the book say and seal which was written in 1860 and the authors are susan and anna warner And in the book, the words are being sung to a dying boy. The book was an immediate bestseller, so it must be good. Maybe we should put it on our reading. I don't know. Uh, It's If I know my um, Victorian lady novels, it's probably so sentimental that you could pour it over your pancakes. (laughs) So not on my reading list because I cannot handle that kind of book. There's a really interesting a footnote in the the hymnal companion. Say and seal, which is the title of the book, sounds exactly like a barony in Germany, say and seal, which was created in the 15th century for James Fiennes, whose descendant Joseph Fiennes plays Luther in the 2003 movie. So uh, it's all connected. All connected. And it, nobody really knows if there's actually a connection to that. But that's kind of cool. <laughs> also, I didn't know that Joseph Fiennes actually had a relative, James Fiennes, in the 15th century. So that's that was of course he did. I- okay, so um, if anyone's interested in reading Susan Warner's Say and Seal, it is on Project Gutenberg, so you can read it there. It begins with the sentence, It is a melancholy fact that this book is somewhat larger than the mold into which most of the fluid fiction material is poured in this degenerate age. You perceive, good reader, that it has run over in the latest volume. Anyway, wow! if that's your kind of thing, uh, look it up and you can astonish all your friends with an intimate knowledge of the original source material for Jesus Loves Me. I will not be joining you. Sorry. (laughs) Wow. I'm hard pass on that for me. (laughs) Maybe someone else out there. So there were a few changes in the text to Lutheranize it from the original novel because they were not Lutheran. And we only have two of the four stanzas since the second two in the novel speak directly about the boy's illness in the novel. So obviously (laughs) those don't make sense. For him. They are in the Hymnal Companion if you really want to read them. <laughs> William Bradbury wrote the music for it, and he also wrote the chorus. So the, no, the novel didn't have the chorus, the Yes, Jesus Loves Me. And that was published in his hymnal, Bradbury's Golden Shower. Something about showers and flowers in the 1800s. In 1862. And it's been translated into several languages since then, including Spanish in 1931. And that translation is also in our hymnals. 
also nearly every kid knows this from Sunday school. So that was my little snippet of very interesting things about this this hymn that every kid knows. There's there's so many interesting things. And I have to put a plug in. I forgot to do this earlier. If you don't have your hymnal companion from Concordia Publishing House, go to cph.org, order your hymnal companion. It is more information than you ever thought you needed to know about the hymns in your hymnal. Um, there is some really interesting history. And it's not only the text, it's also the people. There's a separate book of biographies of all of these people. And the background is just, it's super cool. And all of the information that is in this podcast is from that book. So shout out to all of those authors and go buy your own hymnal companion. One of the best purchases you'll probably ever make in your entire life. So that is all I have for you today. Hopefully that was uh, maybe, it's probably not calming at all because, you know, (laughs) (laughs) things are exciting. I feel enlightened. And in darkened <laughs> at the same time. And it's good. <laughs> Spoken like a true Victorian novel. Oh, man. There, <laughs> there are so many more things I want to dig into now. I didn't realize how much, like, Enlightenment Victorian stuff was happening in this podcast today. So it's it's actually really interesting that a lot of our hymns of a certain genre come from a certain time period. Now I want to dig more into that. But anyway, that's a different podcast. If you want to hear more about hymns or people or all of these stories, you can find the rest of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app. Share your stories about your favorite nighttime hymns or your favorite lullabies. Uh, share your tra- your own translation of Mudabinich. We'd love to see it. Find us in our Facebook group, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge, for all of that discussion and all of the great women that are there in our nice little online community. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm ready for bed. <laughs> and I need more coffee. <laughs> <laughs>
Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies' Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge.